Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two amazing children who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But we are in this together, and thankfully, we have a lot of really wonderful people we can call on to get the help and insight we need. Now, as you know, I'm always on the hunt looking for the best experts in their field to help us navigate how to talk to kids about all different topics. And today, we have an awesome guest who I know you're going to love. Jessica Leahy is a current teacher, a writer, and a mom who writes about education, parenting, and child welfare for The Atlantic, something I read often, Vermont Public Radio, and The New York Times, and is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. She lives in New Hampshire with her husband and two sons and teaches high school English and writing in Vermont. And you can find out all about her and her amazing work on jessicaleahy.com. And she also has a podcast, which I hope she'll talk about later. Now, Jessica's topic of the gift of failure is something that can apply to every age group, young children, preteens, teens, young adults. But remember, while you may not be in the weeds with this particular topic right now, you will likely need to talk to your children about failure, self-reliance, resilience at some point. Or if you have moments when you feel like this is happening right now, you're going to be using everything she says. And no, that it's never one big talk. It's a series of little talks. So this podcast can help provide you with some tips and some scripts to help you uh, the next time that this falls into your lap. And you know there will be a next time. Parenting always provides the opportunities. So now is the time. Please kindly put away all your possible distractions, if possible. If you're driving, of course you can't. And let's make this your time, or as we might call, mine o'clock. Let's make the most of it and turn our attention to today's guest of honor, who has taken time out of her busy schedule to hang out, inspire us, and give us some concrete tools that we will take away and use right away, or when we're in need, the incredibly insightful Jessica Leahy. Thank you so much for joining us on How to Talk to Kids About Anything. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, I'm thrilled. I really am. I've been reading your book. I've been so excited about it. I, I've been using it myself because there's so many great tidbits in there. Great tips, great scripts. I love the way that you write so accessibly, and I feel like you're talking to me. Sometimes I'm like, oh, gosh, I feel like I've been doing this. So, you know, <laughs> let's get right on into it. <laughs> well, it sounds like such a cliche, but I mean, honestly, I really did just write the book I needed because 
the yes. book I couldn't find out there that I needed for myself. Yes. So I guess in sort of a way I was, you know, sort of reminding myself of what I needed to to sort of turn this over parenting ship around. Yes. I mean, you're so you're so honest and you're so accessible in the book where you're talking about things that have happened to you, mistakes you've made, how you've turned it around. And I think that that's what people want. They want a real human who is writing <laughs> about them, to them, and has been in the trenches with them. Well, I think between parenting and, and teaching, there are a lot of there are a lot of mistakes to be made, obviously. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I think the ability to learn from them is is all. And what was really weird, though, is that I think I was doing that in my classroom for longer than I was doing that at home. There was I joke that there was some sort of like disconnect between my teacher brain and my Mm -hmm. parent brain. So while at school, I would have these conversations with my students about the things I had, I had said wrong, or that were mistakes that were made or apologies I needed to make to them. And at school, I was talking to them about their goals and trying to tone down talk about their grades. And yet at home, I, I wasn't doing that. I was doing like the exact opposite. I don't know what my problem was, but oh, gosh, essentially yes. it was getting that sort of analytical side where I took all the research and, and about learning and I knew what worked as a teacher um, and getting it to talk to my parent brain. So that was really the conversation I had in my own head when I was writing all of this stuff. So I love that. I love that. I think that it's it's very easy as a professional, for me as a child development specialist, you know, we can absolutely give incredible advice to everyone else. <laughs> but when we are in the mix ourselves, we don't take our own advice. And I often have like this little voice inside my head, like, that was the best you could do. Like, really? (laughs) Well done. So before we get into the meat of the matter, for those of you who haven't had the opportunity and the pleasure to meet you, read your books or listen to you speak, would you just take a moment to tell us what gets you up in the morning? What do you think about before you go to sleep at night? Like, really, what are you passionate about? Well, it's funny when I first started, I mean, I've always been a writer, number one, and I actually never intended to be a teacher. I went, <clears throat> excuse me, you've caught, uh, you've caught us during the flu week I'm and so any, sorry. any, all the parents <laughs> out there know, um, it was just, it's a matter of time. My yes. kid had my kids home today with the, the yep. barfy fever yes, thing. So we're, awesome. we're just going to make it through we're today. Make we're going to make it work. This was me last year, last week. Exactly. So I get it. I get it. So. I mean, I actually went to to law school to be a juvenile attorney, and um, I was positive that's what I was going to be in the way that we're, you know, always positive in our 20s of exactly what we're going to do with our lives. And I was asked to teach a class, and and I started teaching, and that was that. I mean, I knew teaching was it for me. Um, And so when I was sort of at a loss as to what to write about, my husband said, you know, why don't you write about teaching? Mm. And I looked at him, and I said... No one wants to read about that. I mean, like, really, who's going to read that? Mm-hmm. I I was so happy to be proven very, very wrong. Um, teachers are just voracious readers of content about how to be better teachers. You would be shocked mm. at the number of teachers who are just saying, give me stuff. Mm. I want to be better. I want to be a better teacher. So, you know, I don't tend to write a lot about ed policy. I tend to write a lot about what it means to be a good teacher. Mm-hmm. And you know, as those of us who have taught know, um, that does spill over into our parenting. Mm-hmm. And and so that's really thinking about helping kids learn, thinking about, especially now that I teach kids at sort of risk of catastrophic mm-hmm. failure, I mm-hmm. teach drug and alcohol addicted kids right now, mm-hmm. um, how to help those kids want to learn, how to help those kids understand that they are 
important and relevant in the world mm-hmm. and that the things they're learning can be important and relevant in the world. I think that's the big disconnect is we tend to think of parenting and teaching as something that we do ourselves mm-hmm. as opposed to understanding that we can only be successful at that if we're helping children, um, whether they're our own children or whether they're our students, understand that they have this sense of self-efficacy, that they have agency, that they can go out into the world and they can actually be effective and effectual in the world. And if we're not doing that, then we're just going wah, 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 like the parents, you know, Mm -hmm. they're that's uh, it, the stuff we do for ourselves to make us se- ourselves feel good as teachers and parents isn't often the stuff that helps kids and um and helping people understand that in a gentle way that doesn't make people feel defensive that's sort of what i'm always thinking about um because i'm a very defensive person and if someone comes at me and says this is why you're teaching wrong and this mm. is how you're teaching wrong, and this is how you're parenting wrong. I'm not going to hear that. But there is stuff that I need to hear. So how to do that without, um, you know, while making people understand that this is all a process of becoming better parents and teachers. And, uh, you know, that's what keeps me up. It sounds like you really highlight the strengths in your students and at the same time can uncover their challenges and make them feel like they are able to conquer them, that they have what it takes to move forward in their lives without needing to rely on everyone else to do it for them. You know, that and that lesson came out of a student. I mean, I think that I, I think I knew that in the abstract, but knowing that as something that actually is is something that occurs to me on a daily basis came from a student. There was a student, we all have them, these Mm -hmm. students that when they walk in the classroom, we go, oh God, there's that kid again. That kid that drives (laughs) me nuts, that kid that makes my life difficult. And I realized that I had so um, distanced myself from this kid Mm -hmm. and he had so distanced himself from me and we were so adversarial that the only way that that was going to change is if I fixed it. And the only way that I could fix it was to be able to find something good in him. Mm -hmm. And believe me, that was a struggle Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And I worked really, really hard. I practically followed this kid around, just waiting for him to do something that I can really... (laughs) Show me something good. (laughs) Well, it's not, it can't be empty praise. It can't be, oh, you worked so hard on that, blah, 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 A for effort. It has to be something real because they're completely on to us if it's not real. Mm -hmm. And that moment changed our entire relationship. I finally was able to find that one thing that was a real and true strength of his. And, um, And, you know... Teaching from strengths is not something I'm making up. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's an entire book called Strengths-Based Parenting mm-hmm. that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's sort of what kids need from us. And that is definitely not to say that I don't give constructive feedback when constructive feedback is, is needed. I'm actually really known for being a very honest and very straightforward uh, sort of criticism giver. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kids need to know that they they're worth something yes. and especially kids who don't hear that very often so uh, just out of curiosity what was it what was his strength you know there was an assignment that was really really hard for him that he didn't want to admit that was really hard for him and normally his mo was to just give up and blame it on someone else or sure. or just not do it um and i was a he he gave it a shot in a way that i could tell was genuine and 
I sat down with him and I said, and we talked about the fact that I I knew that this was hard for him and I knew that um, he didn't want to do it because he didn't want me to see him fail yes. at it. He didn't want his parents to see him fail at it. And um, and he he started <laughs> he started to cry and that was a he had never and I taught middle school at the time mm-hmm. and boys in middle school in particular. It was fairly common for a boy in particular to stand up and turn his back to me as his teacher um, because he didn't want to see me cry. He didn't want me to see mm-hmm. him cry. Um, and he cried and he he thanked me and in, in, in the way he that he could at that time. But it was just noticing that he had given his all at a moment that was really hard for him. Beautiful, beautiful. And I, I imagine that he'll remember that and take that with him. I hope future. so because we've had, you know, after that there was plenty of other, mm-hmm. you know, negative stuff. But... Yeah. It was cushioned by that that one little tiny bonding moment where we were able to establish something real. So even the subsequent bad stuff, there was still that good moment there to sort of underpin all of that and cushion some of that. I just want to underscore that because it seems like parents then, when they're at odds with their child, if they can dig in and look for the strength in that moment or out mm-hmm. of that moment, that that can carry them with, you know, carry with them. Right. And, and that that can help temper the frustration that they that we often feel when we're butting heads with our child. Well, and I think that, you know, gift of failure is really what gift of failure is as a book is it's about fostering intrinsic motivation in kids getting kids to try to want to do something for the sake of the thing itself and from an intrinsic motivation um really comes down to three things and that's fostering kids autonomy which is like independence but a little different it really is about giving them the details um control over the details and um helping them feel competent Mm mm-hmm which is a little bit about that sort of helping them feel strong and and not confident because that's pretty empty. Um, Mm -hmm. But competent is sort of confidence based on experience. But the third leg of that chair of that stool is is connection and our connection with them. And the one thing I know is that when I'm nagging and overparenting and trying to control everything, what I do is I create this really toxic nagging environment yeah. in our home and it undermines my relationship with my kids. So, you know, to the the amazing thing about having written this book and the thing that's just incredible to me is that it's sort of out there in the world and people are, <clears throat> tell, you know, send me letters about it. But the letters that I get that are the most important to me are the ones that say, this has changed my relationship mm-hmm. with my child. And we have more time to talk about the stuff we want to talk about and to bond over the stuff we feel positive about. And we don't spend as much time harping over these stupid little nagging things that's that connection end of it you know i'm i'm glad when kids do better in school i'm glad when kids you know can listen and blah 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 mm-hmm. but when it comes to the relationship stuff when when someone tells me that it's improved their relationship with their children that's that's the ball game for me that's beautiful why do you think that parents don't want their children to fail and make mistakes. I mean, what reasons do parents give that <laughs> to step in and take over while they're struggling and trying to figure out a task? What what is what is that about? What's going on? You know, I, I, there's a whole chapter in the book about sort of how we got here, but I think it comes down to 
we're having kids later, we're having fewer kids, we're having kids after more education and more time out in the workforce. And then we bring those tools, the tools we tend to use in the workforce and, and you know, in our education, like spreadsheets and um, our need for um, these constant, this constant feedback on our progress. We bring that to parenting mm-hmm. and we put that on our poor kids' shoulders. And we tend to measure ourselves as parents, like lacking any feedback. You know, we don't get progress reports on our parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so lacking that, we tend to look at our kids and we tend to say, oh, okay, well, you know, if my kid is getting all A's and my kid is on the traveling soccer league, then I must be doing great as a parent. And one of the things I talk a lot about is that not only is that unfair to kids, it's it's a fa- it's false it's empty it's mm-hmm. not the fact that our kids our kids aren't reflections of us our kids are their own people um and to put that on them is really unfair but the other issue is that i think we tend to um i i in one of my in my speaking engagements i talk about the fact that every single night before i go to bed there's this box. I'm a huge checklist fan. And there's this box I always need to check off. And it's it's the most important one. And that is, was I a good parent today? And the the things that I do to be able to check that box off, the ways that it's easy to check that box off are those moments where I feel good. You know, I get that warm, fuzzy feeling mm-hmm. in my belly because mm-hmm. I rescued my kid from having to stay in from recess mm-hmm. or I rescued my kid from someone teasing him because he forgot all of his stuff again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those moments make me feel really good, but mm-hmm. they do not teach him a whole heck of a lot. Right. So I think as parents, we need to step back and, and stop looking to um, those moments that make us feel good as uh, evidence of our own good parenting, because they're not. They're evidence of us making ourselves feel good, not necessarily evidence of helping our kids feel good about themselves. And that's a great, wise thing to realize and probably extremely hard considering <laughs> our <laughs> considering our society is... is I still struggle is, with it all the so time. So pressure-filled. And I, my friend Kathleen Hassan, sometimes uh, I remember her saying, everything needs to be bigger, better, faster, more. Right. Um, and I think that that is the philosophy that we use as parents parents often where we're I, I if I could just let me just tie your shoe for right. you right let well me because it's a tangible it thing yes we, you know we look for those tangible moments where we're like ah oh, yes I did this today for my kid my kid <laughs> I'm a knew I had his back yes. today yes. Yes. um as opposed to looking more long term and saying am I helping my kid grow as a human being over the long term because you know as as you well know you know things don't improve for our kids on a day-to-day basis our kids are not like better stronger people than they were yesterday but you know hopefully over the course of a year they've improved and they've gotten to some higher level of learning and competence and all that kind of stuff and it's hard to check that box off every day if that's yes you know if that's sort of our goal oh what an important thing and then we have to shift to checking off that box when we feel like our kid has done something perhaps yeah. on their own been a little bit more self-reliant been a little bit more competent as you were talking about i love that ex- you know that idea of being confident through experience i love the way you define that um, well, and I, I tell a story in the book about my kid leaving his homework yes. um, on the coffee table and, yes. you know, the fact that I had to be at the school in an hour anyway, and I knew I couldn't take that homework and it made me feel Oof. like a terrible person. Yes. It made me feel horrible because I felt ineffectual and I felt like a lame duck mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, what that resulted in was a checklist that he has used every day before yes. school for four years to remember 
his homework, to remember to brush his teeth, to remember to do all these things, that checklist is on our refrigerator. And that that's the success. That, that is. for me, you know, it may be that I didn't get to check that box off that day, but boy, every time I see him looking at that checklist in the morning and it's the thing that keeps him from forgetting mm. something, that's where I say, oh, yes, that was the right. day I didn't take the homework. And his teacher, he and his teacher had a conversation about strategies and this is the result. I mean, that's that's the, that's looking at him over a long period of time. You know, my getting to check that box off every day is not going to what's not not what's going to help him be a better, more competent human being. It was so beautiful, and I felt the struggle when I read the story because my kids are six and seven, and I I just oh, you know, I've totally been the parent that has brought the homework in. I've been the parent that have that oh, we you know, all have. brought the gloves in. I, I I absolutely did that, and I felt it, and I. You know, there was one time when my daughter left her homework at home and I didn't bring it in and she came back home and she said, oh, yeah, I talked to my teacher. She said, no, it's OK. Just be more <laughs> responsible and bring it back tomorrow. And I was like, oh, can you believe that that was it? You know, it, yeah. it's, it, and I sat there and struggled with that during the day. <laughs> Should I have brought that in? Um, well, so we're I so clearly that. I mean, it's so clearly a problem that there are schools right now that have decided to create a blanket rule for the entire mm -hmm. school that no parents are allowed, no one is allowed to bring any um, forgotten items right. after first bell. And the nice thing about that rule is because, you know, the, the, the school is clearly making a statement that part of our responsibility is not just teaching math and science, but to teach your kids how to come up with strategies to remember their stuff and to become more responsible Beautiful. human beings. Mm -hmm. But the nice thing is then mm -hmm. the kid can't get mad at the parent right. for not doing it because it's not the parents rule it's the school's rule and the schools that have done this I've talked to a few of them have reported that it actually has resulted in a whole bunch of great positive effects that parents report back on because kids have to come up with their own strategies and it's mm -hmm. if it's a school-wide policy it really speaks to the fact that this is a crisis we need to stop doing this and um and schools are finally stepping in and saying enough this has gotten way out of hand and the nice thing the thing I love about it is it's fair. Because if you think about from a socioeconomic perspective, who right. has the ability to return things to school? It's parents that don't rely on public transportation. Mm -hmm. It's parents that aren't doing shift work, right. that kind of thing. Um, I was at a very wealthy school recently and, and the, the teachers laughed and they said, oh, it's the nannies that bring the oh. things. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think we often think about that, that piece, that it would be unfair you know, given that kind of circumstance. But I think it's what you're saying is really important. And perhaps, you know, when if a parent is not in that situation and, you know, they could feasibly bring in a homework assignment, maybe they can connect with the teacher and say, um, I was wondering if you might have a policy that says yeah. something about yeah. not bringing homework in and rescuing our children. I have no doubt the teacher would say, yes, absolutely, I love that policy. And then you just say to your child, you know, your teacher doesn't like it when we do that. So we're not going to yeah. do that. <laughs> there was one time I did an in-between in thing. <clears throat> My son was about to have a big exam and there was a sort of a review um, assignment he had and he left it at home. This was, this was uh, I can't even remember which kid it was. And I scanned it and sent the email to the teacher. And I said, do not give my child credit for this assignment. Mm. If there is, a, but 
there's information here. I understand that as a teacher, you need to know where my kid is. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, since you don't have this assignment, you won't have that information. Mm -hmm. So do not give my kid this assignment. Do not give Mm -hmm. my kid credit for having brought it into school, but this is just for your knowledge. So, um, so that's, that was a nice sort of Mm -hmm. in between. And it said to the teacher, you know, look, we're in this together and, and I support you as the teacher in giving my child penalties for things that he's not remembering on his own. I'm sure they appreciate that. Oh, as a teacher, I can tell you right now, we really appreciate Really, really appreciate that. Yes. So I want to get into the real thick of it. In your book, you are masterful at bringing to light the importance of putting the kibosh on rescue our children and said putting some responsibility on their shoulders. And you talk about stepping back, relinquishing control, encouraging parenting for competence, as we've talked about, and and allowing some important new self-reliant habits to form. So can Mm -hmm. you give us some specific tips on what to do, specific tips on Mm -hmm. what to do to help our children become more self-sufficient or more resilient when mistakes happen or just being more responsible people? Right. Well, there's sort of two questions in there. And, you know, the the fun thing about the book is, is that I it, the heart of the book really is in middle school because I feel like that's a period of time when kids are just screwing up all over mm-hmm. the place. And teachers who love teaching middle school get that that's the majority of our job is helping kids sort of, you know, deal with that and come up with new strategies and stuff like that. So, you know, if parents can let that cycle of learning happen naturally by not rescuing kids, you know, middle school teachers love that. Um, but the the book really does start with like preschool all the way mm-hmm. through to, um, you know, high school. And and when I was talking to kindergarten teachers, <laughs> they said, I said, you know, what would you like me to convey to parents right. about what their kids can do that you don't think that they don't think that their kids can do stuff that they really have no idea their children can do. And the kindergarten teacher said, almost to a one, they were like, well, um, everything. There's so much stuff your kid can do that you don't think your kid can do. So really, I, that's a good starting place is to realize that your kid is more we've sort of skewed expectations and your kid is actually more competent than you think they are. Mm -hmm. So wherever it is, whatever it is you think your kid can do, let's err on the side of like two steps further than that. Because your kid is actually, you know, the first time I asked my kid to unload the dishwasher, my expectation was is that he would do the stuff he could reach. Right. But I didn't say that. That was just my expectation. And lo and behold, I came in and he'd figured out a way to use the chair to get up mm-hmm. on the counter to put the stuff up in the thing. Um, and that was a shocker to me. I I expected less of my child than he expected of himself. And that was a big sort of, oh, okay. Oh, mm-hmm. I see. This is what we're dealing with. But I think the very first thing you can do is sort of think about that long-term goal thing. Not what's important in this very moment to um, make life easier for my kid to, you know, make myself feel better at this moment. But what what will I want him to know or her to know in six months, in a year? And if that is mm-hmm. some sort of task at home or if that is, you know, remembering how to do something, then just talk about that. Say, you know, be I'm, I'm a huge fan of transparency with kids. I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of talking about what mm-hmm. you're trying to do. And in the same sense, I have to say, overarching over sort of the umbrella over all of this is, oh my gosh, please model for your children positive, adaptive responses to mistakes and failures. Um, We tend to 
not want to, our kids to see that we're not perfect. Right. But I, I have a little, I have a bit of information for parents. They know. Yes, they know. <laughs> they really do know that we're horribly flawed human yes. beings. So. <laughs> If we could do a little bit more, um, you know, I, I always make the analogy of at the dinner table, if you could say something like, oh, man, I hit reply all rather than reply mm -hmm. on this email today. And I really upset some people. And I'm not sure how I'm going to handle that tomorrow. But mm -hmm. I'm going to have to make amends tomorrow. So do you guys have any ideas for what I could do? Or talking about the mistakes that you make yes. and talking about the ways you're going to strategize is one of the most important things we as parents do. We are our kids' first and best teachers. Yes. And if we're not talking about our mistakes and we're not talking about how we deal with them and we're denying rather than accepting when we make a mistake, um, our kids hear that. And that's what they learn from us. So I think that is awesome. Yeah, that's the biggest, most important thing. And, and it's what's so crazy is over and over again, when I talk to parents about this, or when pa when parents ask me questions, speaking engagements, they'll say things like, I got this recently. My children, they're just not big readers. How do I get my kids to read for fun, to read for just, you know, recreation? And I said, well, do you read for fun? Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> she, <laughs> right? <laughs> and she looked at me really blankly, and she had to admit that, no, she, no, she right. doesn't read for fun. Right. So, you know, modeling is number one. Thinking long-term rather than short-term is number two. Number three you know, thinking about the fact that if we've done our jobs right, if we have, if we have been sort of, if we've been good parents, then our kids are going to evolve to a place where they don't need us to mm -hmm. lead them by the nose anymore. And rather than sort of making ourselves feel good in the moment, you know, what's going to make them feel um, like competent individuals over the long term because the reward is so amazing when you see your kid do something that they didn't think that they could do or that you didn't mm -hmm. think they could do that's like this you know incredible mm -hmm. moment where you're right. it's like the Grinch when your heart swells yes. a thousand times it's this incredible thing so yes. really keeping your eye on the long term I've written about that in I wrote this article in the New York Times called parenting not for the moment but for the long haul <laughs> and that's honestly that's the article I get the most response to mm -hmm. because people tell me that it's just a lot easier to parent for that moment because I, I think that's how we live these days. Right. We tend to live in those moment-to-moment -moment emergencies. Um, but those little moment-to-moment -moment emergencies are not what counts the most. Ask any teacher, would they rather see a perfectly done homework that the parent helped a lot mm -hmm. with or would they rather see a homework that's halfway done with a little note from the kid explaining which problems they couldn't do? Mm. Right. Those teachers, they want the imperfect imperfect stuff so that they can actually get the information they need in order to be better teachers. So, mm -hmm. you know, stop parenting for emergencies, I think, is another big tip. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I, I, and I, I love what you said about what do I want my kid to know in six months or one yeah. year. That whole parenting for the long haul makes a lot of sense because it, it, it does a little bit let you off the hook in that moment because it says, you don't have to fix this right now. What do you want your child to learn from right. this situation? And how great that you can then look at the spill on the floor or forgetting the homework as the perfect lesson for your child to gain the competence to apply to real life situations, not just now, but well, for the long haul. We also tend to fixate in some on some pretty weird stuff. Like um, I was talking to a dad recently who's who's sort of their, the Waterloo he had with his kid was his kid keeping his room clean. That was the thing that drove the dad crazy. 
and made the kid really frustrated. Turns out this kid was um, a teenager. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Turns out. Well, I said to the dad, so, you know, what's your end game here? What's your goal? Let's step back for a second. Let's not think about the room and how upsetting that is for you that the room is, is not clean. What is your end game here? And the father said, my end game is that my kid feels has an organized life Mm -hmm. because for some reason we tend to think that if a kid's room is clean that somehow that magically translates to an organized mind turns out that's not true (laughs) right (laughs) there is in fact there's a fantastic book called wired to create Mm -hmm. that talks a little bit about how creative people um live you know in our house uh, my kids kids have so little um of their world under their control their room is one place where they can exert control and the da- what the dad didn't seem to understand is that this this struggle over the room had become a struggle for co- some little tiny bit of control in this kid's life because this dad controlled everything in this kid's life. This dad drove the kid everywhere. This dad said what activities this kid would do and what mm. sports this kid would mm-hmm. play and what grades this kid would get and what time he'd do his homework and where he'd do his homework. This kid had nothing under his own control. And so I said, you know, maybe we could strike a bargain. Maybe if the kid closes the door and that's just the place where your kid feels like he has a little bit of competence in his life and a little bit of control in his life, um, you can maybe overlook that one thing that, and (laughs) I got an email about six months later and the father said, I didn't realize how that room had become like the symbol of all the things I couldn't control (laughs) about how my kid grew up. And it made me feel more calm when my kid's room was clean, but it had nothing to do with what my child needed from me. And I actually also told the dad a little secret that um, kids who are more controlled and feel like they have no control in their lives lie to us more. They're more dishonest with us because they feel the need to sort of carve out control where they can. And so I, I, you know, I I sort of baited the hook a little and I said, look, if you let your kid have a little bit of control somewhere, maybe, maybe we can do an end run on that lying thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he was willing to hear me, you know, from that perspective. But yeah, we tend to focus on some pretty weird stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a really, a a lot of very good advice, both for that particular father, but I think that uh, also for other people who are listening, they can apply it to any area that we feel like we're trying to exert a, a ton of control. I know that one of the areas that parents continually ask me about, and something that I'm very committed to asking our guest experts about, is scripting. And mm-hmm. I and I feel like you're really great at that too in your book. But I I want to ask you today, uh, your your book obviously talks about the gift of failure, and mm-hmm. we know that there's a lot of pressures for everyone to succeed. So how do we talk to our kids? If our kid is in front of us, mm-hmm. how do we talk to our kid about failing, about making mistakes, dealing with the consequences of, the, of those mistakes? If they're sitting in front of you, what would you say? You know, it's funny you say talk to your kid, because I actually would argue that what we say is a little bit less important than what we show them. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to talk a lot about, you know, that we pay lip service to, you know, sweetie, what I really care is that you're learning. Mm-hmm. And yet we put the the report card on the refrigerator and we check into the, the online parent portal on our kids' grades 10 times a day. Mm. And we ask them how that French test went the minute they get in the car. So what we're showing them is, okay, yeah, learning, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But I want to know what the grades are. Um, but if we could actually 
help them understand and really and, and the problem is we have to mean it and there are a lot of parents out there that don't mean this like they really are less interested in learning than they are in the grades um, I see it every single time I go out and talk to parents and and that's unfortunate I mean I think they're we're such sort of a um, you know a, a grade obsessed mm-hmm. you know evidence of uh, evidence of success you know oriented society that we tend to forget that school is supposed to be about learning, not necessarily about grades. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the entire chapter in my book about grades is actually about substituting the idea of goals um, right. for grades. So, you know, what we say to our kids when they're right in front of us, I don't know that that's as important as what we show them we mean every single day. Mm-hmm. And and again, it comes back to modeling. And I know it's boring to keep coming back to modeling because that's not like some actionable item that I can go out and check off on a list mm-hmm. right now. But it's an every single day, you know, showing our kids what we value. And if we could get the report cards off of the refrigerator, if we could stop Facebook booking about our kids' grades, if mm-hmm. we could stop... Um, asking them constantly about the product, if we could get more of our discussion around the process, um, if we could start instead of getting all ecstatic over an A and freaking out over an F, and I make the joke when I'm out speaking that that F for some parents means B minus, if we could stop freaking out about that and start talking to our kids about what they did to get that grade. Mm-hmm. What did they try? What did they do? What did they not do? Oh, they say their friend got an A and they got an F. Okay, well, what did their friend do that they didn't do? Have they talked to the teacher about what they did and what they didn't do? If we could start talking about process, keeping our eye on the process Mm -hmm. and off of the product as much, that would be fantastic. You know, it's, it's become a joke in our house, my older son in particular. He's like, can can I just show you my grades, please? Can we talk about my grades? Because in our house, we just don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not, um, I've never looked at the parent portal for either of my children. Um, and, you know, that's something that gives a lot of parents hives mm-hmm. um, because we feel like that grade is evidence not only of our children being wonderful, but of our parenting. And I think we need to just get a grip and realize that our children's grades have almost nothing to do with us as human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Let's bring it down to a, a different a different issue rather mm-hmm. than grades. When you have a child, because you talk about some of the younger, younger kids mm-hmm. in this, and that was talking about some of the older ones, say they spill juice on the floor, you yeah. know, or, or they knock something over and the cereal's everywhere or the uh-huh. glass broke on the floor, whatever it is. Right. In that moment, what is it that you suggest you should do or say that would help to make that child realize that mistakes happen and that we, we can move on from here without having hysteria. I'm so guilty of, um, I, you know, I'm a very particular person and I tend to freak out if a kid drops something, especially if a kid, you know, drops something expensive or, Mm -hmm. or if a kid, um, loads the dishwasher the wrong way. And I know that there is going to be goopy food on that plate when it comes out. You know, those kind of moments, I have to take a deep breath and I have to say, okay, in this moment, I already know my kid feels bad for dropping something. So, you know, how do we handle this? So for me, taking a deep breath and relaxing, and sometimes even just getting a, 
letting my face relax. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you have to treat every spill with a smile and a giggle and, oh, sweetie, look what happened, because that's not real life. But as much as possible, especially for kids actually who are more anxious, and that's a problem we're seeing more and more um, in schools is that kids are so obsessed with being perfect and not making mistakes that their anxiety levels are going up. So especially for those kids, maybe just take a breath and say, Oh, sweetie, what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, that back to that process conversation. Right. Or what do you think we could do now? And, and right. there are those moments where this is not an issue. Like there are times when something spills and someone needs to run for a towel fast. Right. Right. <laughs> as opposed to like having a little polite discussion about what just happened. Um, you know, you can deal with the emergency. But at the same point, you know, you can also talk a little bit about sort of what the next step is. Right. And there have been plenty of times where my kid will make a huge mess and start to flip out right and it's not really a flip out kind of moment because it's a glass of water exactly it's water it's cereal take those moments and say you know how can we do with this what do you think you should do next right rather than you running for the sponge exactly you know and the other thing is with little little kids learning that i i had to deal with this recently with a really little kid and i was watching her do it Teaching a kid how to clean up cereal with a sponge is actually, it's really hard because they think you can, you know, just sort of rub it back and forth. and It's a broom situation for sure. It's actually a complex (laughs) task. Yes. And so the more relaxed you are, the more relaxed they're going to be and the more able they're going to be to hear, you know, how to do it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to, you know, and I, I totally get that a lot of parents are under time pressures and we want everything to look perfect and we want everything to go just right. Um, But I, and I said this to my parents recently, I said, please don't give me any of your stuff that you would flip out if it broke because I live in a house with kids Mm -hmm. and stuff gets broken. And I, I just am not willing to have a lot of stuff in my house that can't get ruined because that kind of stuff happens. And I do it too. I spill things. Sure. Sure. And the way that we react becomes how they react in many cases. And and we want to make sure that we stay calm. So we translate that. And then we say, you know, this happens to everyone. I mean, if it's not a big deal, we just need to clean it up. I say to my kids, it's okay to make a mess as long as you clean it up. That's all we ask of you. All right. So, And the important thing is for us then, if they don't, to not go, oh, okay, well, next time. And then swoop in and do it ourselves. Right, right. Because, you know, the problem is, is all that's telling them is, well, no need to really learn that because (laughs) it doesn't really mean it. Exactly. If I complain enough or if I walk away, somebody else will do it. And that is not the lesson. That's certainly not the long haul lesson we want them to learn. Well, and it's also not their fault. They have these frontal lobes of their brains that are, you know, the bus driver part of the brain that is completely underdeveloped and cause and effect isn't quite clicking yet. And the fact that in two hours when they come back downstairs, that crusty plate will still be there. That that's it's they're incapable sometimes, especially little kids. Right of realizing that. So it's our job to sort of shore up that frontal lobe for them and help them say, you know, sweetie, if you walk out of the room right now, what do you think is going to happen to that plate? You know, those kind of conversations over and over Mm -hmm. and over again are what I think great parenting is all about. Cause and effect. And and I, I think that's a wonderful way of putting it. So I would love for you to give us 
the resource of the week. So how can our <laughs> listeners find out more about you and how you help parents, how you help educators, how you help children succeed in the area of the gift of failure? Well, the very the, the one thing that's really kind of fun is I spend most of my time, especially this time of year, traveling. So I'm actually I have a really active speaking schedule. So I'm actually on my way to LA next week. I'm on my way to I'm all over the place this spring. So if you would like to see me in person, go to jessicalahey.com and look at my speaking schedule. Um, there's also, you know, sort of the the articles, my under journalism, there's the articles I tend to recommend the most because parents ask me those questions the most. Um, Gift to Failure has a huge bibliography at the end um, that has a ton of resources. But if you want the amended, ver the, the sort of quick version, if you go on my website to speaking and about, there's a downloadable PDF of my um, the bibliography of the things I talk about, the books and articles and links I talk about the most in my speaking engagements because they're the things people ask about the most. So there's all kinds of things on my website that you can look for. And where can we listen to you on your podcast? That has been such a fun thing to do. My podcast is less about parenting, although we do talk about parenting. Um, it's a podcast I host with my former New York Times editor, KJ Delantonia, who actually is in the middle of writing her own parenting book right now that um, is really fun to listen to her sort of doing the original research for and, and writing because our, our podcast is called Am Writing, hashtag Am Writing with Jess and KJ. And it's about balancing a writing life with um, being a parent and all that stuff that we have to do. And that's available at iTunes and Audio Boom. Well, we may have to have her on at some point then. She's really, her book is going to be great. It's really about not the kind of parents we say we want to be, the kind of parents we aspire to be, but the kind of parents, the way things actually get done. Absolutely. The way the things that we do and the way that we actually do it on a day-to-day -day basis and what works and what doesn't. This sounds like a great person to meet. So I, she's <laughs> going to be on my list. She's pretty fantastic. So Jessica, thank you so much for joining us for today. You gave us so many really awesome takeaways, some great scripting, some great tips. I love I really love what you said about parenting for the long haul. I, I think that's life-changing, just putting that in perspective. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you so, so much for having me. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up to Facebook and go to facebook.com slash Dr. Robin Silverman or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. Oh, and if you love this podcast like I did and who wouldn't want to listen to Jessica Leahy all day long talking about this incredible topic, would you kindly go up to iTunes and rate and review it so others will have the opportunity to learn about these outstanding solutions solutions, these scripts, these tips, all the ideas that Jessica brought to the table and use them in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even when nothing is going right, and we all have those days, you've got this. You're here. You're getting this incredible information. And on the days we fall short, never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Thank goodness for that. And as there are moments when we all doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet, sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please keep connecting through conversation. 
See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.